with me to Daniel chapter 6. Uh, Daniel is right after Ezekiel. It's right before all those little minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament. And Daniel chapter 6 is, once you get there, you'll, you'll probably recognize the story. That's uh, the story of Daniel and the lion's den, right? I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, we did a, an entire series on Daniel called Far From Home, Close to God. So we taught on this whole passage. If you want to get like the, the, uh, some of the, the passage surrounding the lion's den itself, you can look at that. What I want to do is hone in on a particular verse, that is verse 10. But we're going to start by reading all 10 verses just to give us a sense of the context. This is a story here. Um, and what we're about to read going into Daniel chapter 6 is uh, King Darius who sets Daniel, a follower of God, in some of the highest places in authority. Daniel is working in the king's palace. He's in politics. He's really smart. He's got favor with other people. He's uh, promoted, progressing through the ranks, and yet he's also just rooted and grounded uh, and integrated in the life of God, and he's doing both. He's in the world, but he is deeply, uh, uh, deeply engaged in worship to God. And we're, we're coming in on this scene where a few people start to, it looks like they get jealous of Daniel and they try to take him down. So we're gonna, we're gonna read this passage together and just dive into the text what it means to slow down throughout the day. This is what, uh, this is what God says, in, starting in verse one, we'll read all 10 verses. It says, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, type of a kingdom official. And over them, three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because Daniel was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and uh, enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Here's our text. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, we remember the words of the psalmist who declares that God, you honor your word and your name above all other things and so may your church directed by your word and called by your name, also do the same. May we honor your word and your name by listening to it, being changed by it, and obeying it. And may our lives look a little bit more like your son, Jesus Christ. Not because of good works, not because of striving, not because of any merit of our own, but because of your transforming power by the Holy Spirit through your death and resurrection, may we be completely changed on the inside out by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in light of that liberating power, may we also put effort and put our hands to the plow and engage in the life that you have called us to. Understanding that there's no better life than to walk with Jesus Christ. May we see that before we try to do that 
May our hearts be captivated by the things of God. May we truly desire and love the things that you think are good and beautiful. Most of all, may we think that you're good and beautiful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first got born again, I was taught a classic spiritual discipline uh, uh, like a quiet time that you might be familiar with. This idea that, you know, in the morning, uh, before everything starts, before I start my day, you know, I, I, I set along some time, whatever it is, could be 10, 20 minutes, 40, hour, whatever, uh, to be with the Lord, usually like through scripture and prayer. Uh, and as I was growing in the Lord, these were really, these were really impactful on me. Uh, I would, cons- they were almost like a way of charging up. That's how I understood them and, and was taught them. It was a way of charging myself up before entering into the real world, right? And so that those mornings that I was, uh, uh, I would wake up, I would, I would get into a quiet spot, I would open up the Bible, I would read like a daily reading or whatever, and I would pray a little bit, and then I'd go off into the world. And it was, it was truly great. Those were some of the most impactful times in my life uh, when I first met the Lord. I, would, I, I remember just waves of his love just drowning me in the morning as I would open up his word and the simplicity uh, of, of, of being with him, and those mornings were incredible. Um, as time went on, I started noticing something else that happened to me. I don't know if this happens to you, uh, but the, the quiet time would wear off as the hours of the day went by. Uh, I would immediately, after leaving the time with the Lord, immerse myself in a highly charged, reactive, and busy world. Um, by lunchtime, it seemed, I would forget everything that happened during my quiet time as I was inundated with a barrage of tasks and problems and fires to put out and deadlines uh, and, you know, uh, emails and setbacks and other tasks that would pile up, expectations, people, relationships. Uh, By afternoon, I would get to a point where I wouldn't even be thinking about God. He He wouldn't even be a morsel in my mind by lunchtime, much less someone that I'm continually talking with interacting with, being led by. Um, and it wasn't that the quiet times in the morning, as we call them, quiet times or devotionals, it wasn't that those were bad per se. They were very good. As I look back in retrospect, it was my mindset around those quiet times that was, that was a little broken. I had unknowingly adopted this way of viewing my day that kind of divided what we might call the sacred and the secular, as, as some people uh, throw out there. In other words, my quiet time, you know, between this hour and that hour was like the Lord's time. That's where I really got charged and filled up. But as soon as I left that, that was me. I was just doing my thing, had no, con- like, had no thought in my mind about God being with me in my work, in my job, in my parent, all of those normal, ordinary things in life. It was different. In the morning, I was with God. In the other 15 hours in my day, I was on my own, completely ignorant of God's presence with me. I had compartmentalized my spirituality. So I was spiritual for, you know, 30 minutes in the morning, and then the rest of the day running frantic and hurried like everybody else in the world who didn't know God. What I want, what I want to show you from this passage is that Daniel... And I would argue ours doesn't have to be like that. Daniel's spirituality was not a compartmentalized part of Daniel's day. It wasn't just regulated to one part of his day. He was constantly aware of God as we're going to see. Even when he wasn't quote unquote reading scriptures and praying. I mean he, he wasn't a priest or a pastor. He was, he was working in politics. He had jobs to do that weren't Uh, outright spiritual as we might think of them, and yet he was constantly aware of God's leading presence as he was serving the king and interacting with other politicians. This is available to all of us. This constant awareness, I want to argue from this passage and especially from the Psalms, was actually cultivated, didn't just happen, it was actually cultivated by regular times throughout the day of slowing down to pray 
in the presence of God. The context in Daniel, what we're looking at is that Daniel, his life is so integrated with the life of God that even when he does normal things, normal things, like work and interact with people, relationships, it is already obvious to people around him that he has a, a deep life in God. In fact, his enemies use his spirituality against him and threaten his life. I don't know if you're tracking with what was going down in that passage, but they saw that he was a man of integrity. There's nothing they could pin against him. So they said, we need to find something about his prayer life, about his walk with the Lord that we can use against him. And they kind of appealed to King Darius's ego, said, you know, you deserve to be worshipped. We should make a law. If anyone worships another god, they get thrown into the lion's den. They were just jealous. They were trying to knock off Daniel uh, from his pedestal. And his response, I want you to notice, is to do what? It's to slow down to be with God. The very thing that his enemies were using to threaten him, he continues to do. He slows down to be with God. That first verse says, when Daniel knew that the document that threatened his life had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. Stop right there. This is simply referring to a passage in 1 Kings chapter 8 where Solomon, upon building the temple, which in the Old Testament, that's where God's presence uh, resided, he then prayed in that Solomon prayer, right? God, when, when your people, even when they're scattered all over the world, if they uh, look towards the temple, look towards Jerusalem and ask you to heal, heal them and to uh, forgive their sins, may you answer their prayers. And so Daniel is simply doing this very thing. But he's, he's stopping the, essential, the, the principle here is that Daniel, in the midst of a trial, is stopping what he's doing, his, his whatever you want to call it, his paperwork, his political engagement, his job, maybe his stress and his worries. He's stopping whatever he's doing and slowing down to be with God. We must also slow down to be with God. And some of you are saying, yes, well, I do that in the morning and then for the other 16 hours of my day, I, I speed up and do some other stuff. But at least I get that, right? And that's true. That's, that's better than nothing. But I also want you to see something interesting about Daniel's life. Perhaps something that might be able to shape our spirituality. He does this repeatedly throughout the day in small little units. This is incredible. In the next line, it says, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. So Daniel prays not just once in the morning, but several times does he punctuate his day with time spent before the Lord. There's like this rhythm of communion with God that is spread out throughout his day that weaves the whole thing together. He is constantly being reminded, reminding himself that he is in communion with God, even when he's working. This is a rhythmic pattern here, and this likely comes from the Psalms. The Psalms were the prayer book of Israel. This is how people like Daniel learned how to pray and to worship, and they were written 400 years before Daniel. These were written, uh, many of them, by King David in 1000 B.C., uh, and they come from Psalms like Psalm 119, verse 164. Seven times a day I praise you, David says, for your righteous rules. David punctuating the day. Not just once, but all throughout the day, stopping, slowing down to turn towards the Lord. And we see more specific times throughout uh, a bunch of Psalms, not just random arbitrary times, but key times in the day. Psalm 92, verse 1 through 2. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. And we see this pattern repeating itself over and over. Psalm chapter 5, verse 3. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Psalm 88, verse 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you, in the morning my prayer comes before you, but not just in the morning. Uh, Psalm 141, verse 2, let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Psalm 55, verse 17, evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. And for centuries, the people of God are stopping at regular times throughout the day, specific times, it seems, morning and noon and at evening to punctuate the day 
with praise and worship to God. 400 years later, it seems that Daniel himself, who had been formed as a good Jewish uh, person by the Psalms, gets down on his knees three times a day and prays, giving thanks before his God. Doesn't stop with the psalmists or Daniel. We actually see this happening in the New Testament even after Jesus rises from the dead. Um, but Daniel's prayer life, I should, I, I should stop right here and, and mention that his prayer life was not merely a reaction to crisis. He didn't, stop, he didn't start praying because he was about to get thrown in a lion's den. That last line in our text, he had been doing this as he had done previously. Lion's den or not, this was his normal lifestyle of prayer. Slowing down with God at set times throughout the day, whether there's lions or not. This was his rhythm. Uh, in fact, uh, we read in Daniel chapter, uh, with your Bibles open, I hope, in, Daniel, in that same chapter, Daniel chapter 6, in verse 16, he's, thro- he's, about, he's thrown into the lion's den, and King Darius knows he just got hoodwinked, and he loves Daniel, uh, but he can't do anything about it, and so he, he, he's in anguish, and he says in verse 16, look at this, then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought near, cast into the den of lions, and the king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, be with you. The king notices. After he's been in the lion's den for a while, uh, uh, Darius can't sleep. He's been up all night. He, at the break of day at dawn, he, ru- he runs in haste to the den of lions. Look at verse 20. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel's response, good. Good, bro. Gets pulled out. But notice, two times, even Darius sees the difference in Daniel's interior life. It's not that Daniel is like reading, he's not a monk, he's not reading the Bible all day in the courts of the king, he's working. But there's something different about his quality of life, this, the God whom you serve continually. This is something that he is used to doing. He's defined by continual communion with God, and it seems that it is his specific practice of stopping at set times throughout the day for prayer that have so developed his interior life with God. Like I said earlier, we don't just see this in the Old Testament, we see it even after Jesus rises from the dead, a pattern that keeps being repeated in the disciples and Jesus' apprentices. For example, Peter, in Acts chapter two, verse 15, uh, in Acts chapter two, we see the day of Pentecost fall and it falls on a group of people who are praying, and they're praying in the upper room, right? And people think that they're drunk and plastered. And in verse 15, Peter says, hey, these people aren't drunk as you think they are. It is only the third hour of the day. Just as the psalmist declared, they had been in an upper room praying at the set hour in the morning. And it's not just the morning, but Acts chapter 10, verse nine. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up, onto, he pulls away, goes up onto a housetop at about the sixth hour to pray. That's noon. Acts chapter three, verse one. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That's evening. We see it in the disciples, stopping morning, noon, and evening at least to remember and turn their attention towards the Lord, even as the psalmist a thousand years earlier taught them to do evening, morning, and noon. I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. Say, yeah, well, that was just Jewish believers. Actually, in the book of Acts, we see Gentile believers seeing something about the life of the disciples and adopting it themselves. Acts chapter 10, verse 3 and and verse 30, we see Cornelius, the the centurion. It says, it describes him in verse 2 as praying continually. I don't think that means that words were always rushing out of his mouth constantly throughout the day. We get a picture of it in Acts chapter 10, verse 3. It says, about the ninth hour of the day, again, that's, uh, uh, that's evening time, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. He's praying at evening. We've been looking a lot at uh, the life of Jesus and uh, seeing all of these examples where he stops continually to pray a lot of times. He pulls away and stops. 
we now see that maybe some of those, since he was a Jewish rabbi, he learned as a kid to do this, he probably would have scheduled some of those times out. He would have prayed in the morning. He would have prayed with his disciples at the synagogue at noon and at the evening time. In fact, even when he's on the cross dying, taking his last breaths, Matthew 27, 46, it says that in the ninth hour, he begins to cry out in prayer. Now, what were they praying during these set times? Psalmists, the disciples, Jesus. I ask this because when I get into a routine of praying regularly, I start off really well. And I'm like, all the stuff that I want to pray, I just like comes out of me like that morning. And then a week later, I'm like, I ran out of stuff to pray. <laughs> and I just, I, I start noticing, I, I begin to pray the same thing over and over. It gets stale and I stop praying for like weeks at a time. What, what, were, the, what were they praying? Because this is a lot of times to stop and pray. Well, history in the Bible tells us that they were praying the Psalms. The Psalms were the prayer book of Israel. They would recite these psalms in prayer to God. Uh, growing up, I used, I used to make fun of written prayers because I used to think they weren't spiritual, like prayers should be spontaneous, and they can be. That is a, a valid, legitimate, powerful way to prayer. But I would, I would neglect reading someone else's prayer, even if it was a psalm, because I was like, that's not really coming out of my heart. When I learned to uh, read prayers like the psalms as my own prayers, I noticed something happening in me where the pressure to come up with my own words was gone. And I realized this about me in my own fallenness that when I, I'd, I'd sit down to pray, there was something in my flesh that was like, I need to kind of put together the right arrangement of words before God so that he'll answer it. Or if I'm in a corporate meeting, you know, like I gotta like sound a certain way. And when I began to pray the Psalms, something happened. It was as if the pressure to put words together was gone and I could simply be with God. I don't know if that's the effect it had on these Jewish believers, but we certainly see them praying the Psalms. For example, Acts chapter four, verse 25 through 26, they lift up their voices to God and shout, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord uh, and against his anointed and so on and so forth. What are they doing right there? They're praying Psalm two together. I wanna paint a picture of what's going on at this point. God's people are stopping at set times throughout the day. This isn't an isolated event with Daniel. Many of them stopping at set times throughout the day to pray the Psalms back to God. In fact, in the early church, this practice just doesn't stop. In the second century with Clement of Alexandria and Origen and Tertullian, the same pattern continues to go. In fact, prayer at fixed hours of the day ends up, history tells us, it ends up strengthening the church uh, who didn't have buildings to meet in. They didn't have political clout or protection afforded to them. They were a marginalized community of disenfranchised people who were being persecuted and with nothing, very little going for them, we're told by uh, historians that it was coming together sometimes secretly, knowing that hundreds of other believers are praying at the same time that strengthen their hearts to know that they weren't alone. By the time we get to the sixth century, a guy by the name of Benedict comes along and he begins to give this, this style of praying a little bit more of a formalized structure. So the Jews were praying Psalms. He adds to the Psalms New Testament readings. He adds to that Old Testament readings. He adds mixture all over from the Bible, praying the Bible. He also adds written prayers, uh, perhaps like the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed, and he arranges them in such a way that as you pray through them, you're telling yourself a story. And so a typical, uh, a typical way of praying would be you start by calling yourself awake. I'm awake, Lord. Awaken my soul. Here I am, calling yourself to pray. And then you're preaching to yourself something from the Old Testament or the New Testament. And then you're confessing your sins. And then you're rejoicing in the assurance you have and being sent on your way into the day. This is kind of a typical form that started centuries ago and is still being prayed by many Christians around the world. And as you pray through them, you're taking your own heart and mind through the, a miniature story of God. Morning, noon, and evening, God's people around the world would stop and slow down what they're doing in order to offer praise and worship to God. Benedict 
also started calling it this, this ancient practice that we see in the life of Jesus, the disciples, Daniel, the prophets, the psalmists. He, gave it an, he, he started calling it the divine office or the daily office. Uh, kind of a weird Latin name, might trip you up. You might think of office, you might think of like Michael Scott or something, or maybe like your job, like what is this, like some official like way of praying? All it means, office comes from the Latin word opus, which means work. Uh, in other words, he was saying this is our daily work. This is our daily offering to God, uh, where at key points we offer worship and praise to God. The idea here is that unlike a typical quiet time where we expect to get something from God, which is also legitimate, this is completely different. We are not looking to get something from God. We are looking to offer something to God because he's God. Um, Years ago, when I hit a wall in my own spirituality, went through a bout of depression and uh, tried really hard to pray, and I remember in those days that prayer for me just, it felt like I wasn't talking to anyone. I, I didn't feel God. I didn't sense his nearness. Felt like I was just manufacturing words. They were falling as soon as they left my mouth. And uh, it was just lifeless. I couldn't feel anything. And, and at the time, my criteria for a, a successful spirituality was feeling good about the way that I pray. Like that sense of consolation. I feel his nearness. I read this verse and it was like God was speaking straight at me. And I prayed this prayer and it was like the best words I had ever heard, like arranged in my life. And like God was there and I got it answered and it was great. Like light was spilling through my front window and, uh, and just doves were coming out of the kitchen stove and it was great. I really met God then. And then there would be other days where I'd be like, I didn't feel anything. God must have not, you know, must not have been my day. And in this particular season, it was just that. I didn't feel anything. I didn't hear anything. I didn't sense his nearness. I felt like a failure. And it was so difficult and hard for me, especially as a, as a minister who was tasked with teaching others about spirituality, I was feeling depressed and broken and disappointed. And I remember in a fit of desperation calling out to this older gentleman uh, by the name of Ben Patterson, uh, who's my, still my mentor and pastor today, asking him, Ben, teach me how to pray again. Teach me how to, how to pray. I've lost my way. It feels like I've lost my way. And there at Los Agaves week after week, which is really where I sense the spirit true. Ben sat me down and taught me the daily office. And I would take this home and he'd give me this arrangement of psalms to pray. And I'd pray the psalms. Not just the, the good feeling ones, but also the laments. Where are you? And after a week of this, I'd, I'd come back to Ben and I'd be like, Ben, I, this is awesome. I prayed the scriptures uh, morning, I'd stop, you know, at lunch, pray a few verses, stop in the evening, but, but Ben, I'm, I'm still not feeling anything, you know, my, the evangelical vernacular, I'm not getting anything out of this, you ever say that to yourself? I'm not getting out of this, uh, getting anything out of this, and Ben looked at me and he said, Chris, the daily office isn't about you, and it's not for you, it's for God, you just need to show up and trust that he's there. And this was a, in other words, he was saying, it's, this type of prayer isn't what we see modeled. And it's not that we can't intercede. It's not that we can't expect. It's not that he won't visit us in other, uh, other times. This particular way of praying means that we're not always turning to get something from God. We're turning simply to be with God, whether we get anything out of it at all. And this was a profound truth for me. And as I got into the habit of doing this, uh, it, it was true. There were no like bolts of uh, rays of sunlight shooting through my soul. You know, like uh, every now and then I'd get a wave of God's love and presence. It was great. But most of the time I would just pray these psalms and it would be done. I wouldn't feel the chill on the back of my neck. I wouldn't feel uh, these, uh, acts of, these feelings of consolation. Most of the time I would just show up and pray these scriptures. But over time, it was a couple of years ago, after a long time of doing this, showing up, something started to change in me. My soul 
I started noticing began to be shaped by these prayers. I started to rec- like, notice just like, I, I was a little less irritated by people than I used to be. And I was wondering, that's weird. I noticed that in mundane, ordinary circumstances in life, like picking up groceries, doing laundry, and some, something terrible would happen or a setback or a disappointment would happen, and I would just immediately think of God and how he was with me in that moment. I was like, oh, weird. I had never used to do that before. I could only think of God when I was in my quiet time, but now I was getting glimpses of him, turning, just automatically turning to him, uh, driving the car. My, my soul began to be more grounded, more centered in God, even in crises. I didn't have to like charge up when a crisis hit. I was already somewhat there. As I got into the habit of this, this practice began to shape my soul on the deepest level. Uh, one author, by, uh, Robert Benson, in his book, In Constant Prayer, defines a daily office as this. It's simply this. If that word trips you up, you're like, I hate Latin words, that's weird. It's really just this. In the simplest of terms, It is the regular pattern and order for prayer that is offered to God at specific times throughout the course of the day. I'll make it even more simple. It's slowing down at set times throughout the day to be with Jesus. Uh, The hours that Jesus and the the apostles would pray, interestingly enough, uh, the German historian Harold Kleinschmidt uh, writes that the earliest clockmakers were actually monks. Uh, for example, Robert Anglicus and Richard Wallingford. Love that. I'm going to change my kid's name to Wallingford. He writes, the earliest clockmakers, the ones who, who originally developed some of the earliest uh, 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 gears and setups in the clocks that we have now today, did it for the observation that they wanted clocks for the observation of specific hours of worship, namely prayers. What he's saying is the first such devices might have been invented and used in monasteries to toll a bell that called monks to pray. Clocks were invented to slow people down to be with God. That is incredibly ironic. (laughs) Considering that whenever I see a clock, it speeds me up. It rushes me. We have lost our way. We are enslaved to hurriedness and busyness and productivity and checklists. And we are driven by so many things. And the daily office, this ancient practice going all the way back to the psalmist, lovingly confronts us to slow down, to redeem the time, literally. Again, this is a shift in thinking. Instead of compartmentalizing spirituality to, to, to one part of the day and then to do everything else another type of day, because we can't be monks, right? We have to work and we have to have families and we have to eat Mexican food and all sorts of stuff that's really important. But we can set, small, we can set aside small routine units of time like Daniel did throughout the day to be with God. And I think that if you were to try to do this over time by the power of the Spirit, you might notice that even though you're stopping at different times, it is infusing the whole day with a sense of the divine. This is what Brother Lawrence would later describe as practicing the presence of God. He was continually aware of the presence of God, but he wasn't a, you know, he wasn't a professional prayer or a monk. He cooked at a certain point, he became a monk, but he, you know, he, he did things. He swept the floors, he cooked, he worked, and yet even in the mundane and ordinary, he was constantly aware of God's presence by practicing the presence of God. This is what I believe Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he tells us to pray without ceasing. I don't think he's saying uh, always be speaking for like 24 hours a day. If that was a criteria of prayer, then Jesus didn't pray unceasingly. But if prayer is what I think it is, being in constant communion with God, certainly Jesus was that. And we can have that too. We can pray without ceasing. And I think it's a little less daunting than what many of us think it is. And it could start as simply as stopping two or three times a day 
and training ourselves to become more aware of God's presence. Thousands of years later, the psalmist still calls us to these rhythms of prayer. But this time, we have something greater than Daniel did and David did and Moses. We have something, uh, we have greater access than even the psalmists. When God sent his son into the world to unite all things in his son. He sent him also, as a means of doing that, to break down every possible barrier that could come between people and God. The symbolism that we get in the temple where the the curtain is there to remind us that we are separate from God, he tore from top to bottom. The sacrificial system that was there in the Old Testament to remind us that our sins separated us from God. Uh, Jesus walked into the holiest of holy places and offered himself as an eternal sacrifice for our sins, bringing us into the presence of God. That's why the author of Hebrews would later say, decades later, that for those that are in Christ, we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You want to be close to God? It comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And, lest you mistake what I'm saying today, it comes not by observing the Sabbath, or even by reading the Bible, or even by praying at certain times a day. It comes by being transformed on the inside out by grace through faith in Christ. But as people who have been transformed on the inside out, how can we cultivate that love that we have in God? Praying will not earn you love in God. You get love of, the love of God for free in Christ Jesus by grace. But praying at certain times of the day, getting in a regular pattern, observing the Sabbath, will root you and center you in what is already yours. If there's anything you can take away from this, take away this, that there is tremendous value in stopping regularly for short set times, usually morning and evening and noon, but at least morning and evening, every day to turn our attention to God. If you don't do that, will you still get into heaven if you're a Christian? Yes. But your life here will be busy and hurried. Is the daily office something we do to earn God's love? No, but it will, practically speaking, root you in that which is already yours in Christ. Now, all that we we should take away from this, that we, we might take away from this, is to stop regularly at short times during the day. And you can do that any way you want. For some of you, you might just wanna sit in the morning, maybe at your lunch break, maybe in the evening, And just for a few minutes, just quiet yourself before God and reflect on him. Maybe listen to him. It could be two minutes, five minutes, 20 minutes. For some of you, you might want to open up the scriptures to a psalm and just read through it. Maybe for some of you, you've memorized the Lord's Prayer. You stop several times a day at key times and you you recite the Lord's Prayer and you meditate on it. For some of you, you're you're kind of free, uh, you know, free spirits, And you just want to kind of be creative in that, and that's totally fine. For a lot of us, for me, I need a little structure and form. Because if I try that, about three days in, uh, I'll kind of be scattered. And it helps me to have a little bit of form. And so here's a suggestion. This is just a suggestion. The form of the daily office that's been virtually unchanged since Jesus' day. This is not the law. This is just something, if it helps, that perhaps you might consider. I'm thinking of Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good ways are and walk in them and find rest for your souls. We see in here a lot of wisdom all throughout the Bible. Now, you can do this any way you want. I think the clear takeaway is simply getting in the pattern of stopping at set times. I would recommend morning, noon, and evening. Just getting in the practice of that and turning your attention to God. But for those of you that just don't know what to do in those times, I want to offer a suggestion. And you can find stuff like this all over the place. Internet books, there's so many things. But you don't want to do that right now. So I made you one. Um, 
I think you guys got this on your way in. If you didn't, uh, raise your hand and I can have someone hand you one. But I made you one day of psalms and scriptures and written prayers to pray. Uh, You're welcome, Stanley. (laughs) Now listen, this is a single day. If you were to look on the internet for something like this, you would get different, different narratives for different days. They're rich and beautiful. Uh, It would take me years to make something like that, so I made one day. And this will last you about a week before you get bored of it, okay? And it's the same thing every day. You have a morning on one day and an evening on the other day. And you just pray this in the morning. Uh, we'll, we can start small. Uh, you don't have to do a noon one, although I'd recommend that's when we're the most busy and hectic and scattered, perhaps. And so it's really valuable to stop in the middle of the day and just center yourself on God. But at least the morning and evening, you just pray through these things. And I've included in it things that the, uh, the, the scriptures and the church have included for centuries. Scripture, silence to reflect, confession, praise. And as you're praying through it, this will take a few minutes. You are taking yourself through the story of God. Um, And you might do this on Monday, do the same thing on Tuesday, repeat yourself. You might be seeing something different in it, even though you're praying through the same passages, different every day as the Lord often sometimes does. But uh, what if we just did one of these right now? Would that be weird to like pray in church? Just kidding. Can we just do like the morning together since it's morning? We'll just pray these things out loud and give you a sense of what you you might do. You don't have to do this, but this might help some of you. And if it helps some of you, here's something you might do. We'll start at the top. You won't have my my voice commentating uh, in your quiet times uh, with the Lord, but you will have them right now. But here's kind of what's going on. I kind of tried to spell this out. Uh, At the top, when you start or when you end in the evening. You're essentially calling. What we see the psalmists do in their life of prayer, they're, they're calling themselves to attention. They're calling themselves to pray. And so we'll be doing that in the, in the beginning. Let's all, all recite this and pray it together. Ready? Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. Awake, my soul. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. I just woke myself up. Uh, or at night, I'm, I'm scattered and frantic, and I'm centering myself back on the Lord in the same way. So now I'm woken up. What do I want to do? I want God to speak to me. He speaks through his word. So I let him speak to me through his word. I instruct my heart. Uh, let's read this passage together out of First Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'll just sit right there. I'm going to read this one more time by myself. I want you to meditate on it. You can do this if you want to in your time. I'll just play with this section of scripture. Interact with it. Slow down. Think about it. And as I recite it, I want you to, if you want, you can close your eyes, but meditate on it. And listen as I read it slowly. Perhaps a word will float to the top. And if that happens, that might be God highlighting a word in his scripture just for you. Uh, if that doesn't happen, that's okay too. But I'm going I'm to read it once or twice. Here you go. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. One more time. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If there was a word, just take that word into a time of silence and reflect on it. What is the Lord trying to tell you right now? We'll just do that for like 30 or 40 seconds.
as you're reflecting, perhaps God is revealing things, shortcomings, mistakes, areas of growth in your life, flat out sin. And we can come before him and confess, knowing that he's merciful. Let's, uh, let's pray corporately this prayer of confession together. Oh, this is an old prayer of confession. It's beautiful. Let's pray this. Ready? Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Because of the gospel, we know that whenever we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so we should, naturally, end our time of prayer with a, a prayer of assurance and confidence to send us out, out of our morning, to send us out of church, not compartmentalized, but we're taking this with us, Lord. Send us out. And so let's pray this other ancient prayer together. Ready? Lord God, almighty and everlasting Father, you have brought us in safety to this new day. Preserve us with your mighty power that we may not fall into sin nor be overcome by adversity. And in all we do, direct us to the fulfilling of your purpose through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And then I go to work. And then I stop and I do it again. And I do it again. Um, if you want to, try this this week. As often as you can. If you forget a morning or an evening, it's okay. Just try it. And if it's helpful, that's great. I'll talk next week for those of you that consider this to be something helpful, uh, uh, how, to, how to move forward with this. If it's not helpful, if you hate it, throw it away. Okay? I don't want to press upon you a law. But if this helps you, you know, if it doesn't, do something that will slow you down to be with Jesus. And if it, if it does resonate with you, continue to do it throughout the week and we'll talk about it next week. Uh, but as you do it, if you don't feel anything, if your emotions aren't kicking in, if you don't see light shining through the window panes and you don't feel the, the tingle on the back of your neck and you don't get anything from God, as we like to say, don't be discouraged. This is what uh, uh, Eugene Peterson described as a long obedience in the same direction. This, the prayer life is not praying one time and your entire world changing, although that might happen. It is praying consistently in communion with God and slowly being shaped into his own image, like a lot of things. I think of this story about two weeks ago. On June 3rd, rock climber by the name of Alex Honnold split history wide open by becoming the first history in history, the first person in history to climb up the face of El Capitan in Yosemite Valley without ropes or protective gear. For those of you that don't climb or have never been to Yosemite, you might have a hard time grasping the, the sheer insanity of that endeavor. El Capitan is an extremely difficult peak stretching 3,000 feet into the air, taller than any skyscraper in the world. It is considered by many uh, to be the mecca of rock climbing. It is so difficult that it usually takes, uh, that when people actually do it, it is newsworthy. It's in the news with ropes and protective gear and a team helping them. What takes the average climbing party about three days to do took Alex four hours when the world was flabbergasted at this feat that will literally change the course of rock climbing uh, to come and how we approach it. Uh, they approached him as like a supernatural being, like some crazy like person with just weird body, you know, like this guy is supernatural. Alex's response was very interesting. He's all, 
You know, it, it seemed that way to me at first too. But I've been doing this for years. And I have actually been climbing El Capitan for years with ropes. Uh, rappelling down it, taking pictures of it, scribbling down notes, memorizing all the handholds, doing an unromantic routine ascent of the mountain. So that years later, when I did it the real time, it was not a supernatural, it was not an impossible event to me, it was just normal. In the same way, prayer is not an overnight transformation, it is a slow shaping by the shaper in your soul. And in Mark chapter three, Jesus tells us, my first objective for you, my disciples, is to be with you, and then I'll send you out to do the things that you're supposed to do. And in a busy culture, we need more than just to intend to be with Jesus. You can intend to be with Jesus all you want, but the world will take you down. We need means of slowing ourselves down. We need to carve out rhythm and space in our day. And the Sabbath and the daily office, you don't have to do them to be saved, but they prove to be biblical, proven canons of carving out space and rhythm in your day. But here's a question you can take into worship as I ask Betsy and the rest of the team to come up. What's, what's one thing you can do right now to slow down and to turn to Jesus? Recognizing that he's done everything required for you to do so, all you need to do is show up. Heavenly Father, we ask for the wind of your Holy Spirit to blow through caverns of our hearts and our souls and our minds as we turn to you in prayer and in worship right now. We ask that you would turn your face to us that you would lighten our souls with your countenance and that you would remind us once again that even in those moments where we don't feel you, we can go into the depths and you are there. We can rise to the top of the valley and you are there. Truly there is nowhere we can go where we can escape and flee from your presence, David said. So may we take advantage of that as your people and turn our face to you right now. Help us to do that in a world that is vying for our attention, unending responsibilities and trials. May you help us, like Daniel, to see the beauty and the value of your face, turning to your face and communing with you. We want to do that right now. God, come upon us in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen.